So behind me there is a picture. Surprisingly, you think you can't see it that well, but it's actually pretty. You know, it's actually a fairly decent picture. It's it's a it's a two seals underwater. I could lie to you and say one of them was me, but that's not very Christian <laughs> to say. Oh yeah, I'm the guy in the front. So these are two guys underwater on rebreathers, and this is actually a very clear day of visibility. So don't be disturbed uh, because it's obviously daytime because you can see them. But most of our dives happen at night, pitch black, and you go in pairs of two. You'll notice one thing. There's, this isn't a class on the rebreather, but I am authorized to give that class because I'm factory certified by Drager to rebuild those things. And, and, uh, but there's no bubbles. But that has nothing to do with the point here. The, what I'm showing you is this little gadget down there. That's called the attack board. It is how you fly underwater. I grew up flying with my dad, and if you were a pilot or are a pilot, uh, underwater, it's very much every dive is flying IFR. Rick Houston had to spend New Year's Eve last night in LAX because we were so fogged in in San Diego, so that's a a pretty boring New Year's Eve, uh, miserable. Underwater, it is so disorientating. You just can't see anything. You can hear sounds. Um, The guy in back is simply, he's tied to the guy in front who is called the pilot, and the pilot holds on to his attack board. He's not allowed to look up. He's not allowed to look left or right. All he does is stare at the attack board, count his kicks, watch his bearings, and every however far you go, you know, okay, I'm going to kick at this pace for 15 minutes. At that turn, I've got to change my bearing to this course. And then you kick for this many, and you, you can for four hours in and out to do whatever you have to do. There's a saying in the teams, and probably as far as pilots, but I'm not a pilot, is to trust your gear. So when you have no visibility and you have nothing to, or, to get your bearings off of, all you have is this, this little compass, but your brain and your mind, you don't know if you're right side up or upside down. or le- You have no idea which way you're going. And you can get very seasick just trying to figure out your course in life, in, in the water. And the reason I show this is because life is that way too. But the problem in life is we think we can see where we're going. We think that we understand everything, but we lack God's wisdom. Really, the Bible is sort of our attack board. It, it's, it helps us navigate this life. And if there was one book in the Bible that almost everybody would say, if you want wisdom, where do you go? You go to Proverbs. Proverbs, man, if, what I'm going to encourage us, there's homework this month. You'll notice on the half sheet of paper here. Grab it out. Please touch it. This is going to be very much a part of today. On the one side, you'll see you have a homework assignment. What I'm going to ask you to do starting today is to read one proverb per day according to the schedule. So today is January 1st. You read Proverbs chapter 1. You'll notice that Proverbs has 31 chapters in it. So you can literally, some people, I did it for a long time early in my Christian life. I would like to get back into the habit is you simply read a proverb that corresponds to the date. If you do that, you will gain so much wisdom and just nuts and bolts of how to live your life and, and, and how to navigate just what we go through in light of this world that is so against the things of God. I'm going to try, if you're on Facebook and you're a fan of Valley Baptist Church, I'm going to try to continue every day to kind of put a thing on that chapter so we can have sort of a discussion uh, about the things that God is teaching us. 
If you want to get anything out of Proverbs or any part of the Bible, you have to do more than just come to church and listen to me for an hour. Like I talk for a lot normally, but even that's not going to do it. There was a, a professor of mine in seminary that said something to the class that, that really stuck with me. He said, when it comes to birds, mother birds are able to chew up food and then basically digest it into their stomach and then for la- vomit it into the baby's mouth and they can get all the nutrients. The Bible doesn't work like that. I can take us so far, but if you want to get anything out of Proverbs, I'm only covering five subjects found within Proverbs this month. But if you read a proverb every day, you sit down, you pray, you ask God to show you how it applies to your life and and to convict you and to help you. That's how you're going to grow by you chewing on it, by you thinking about it and praying on what is said in here. And if you do that, you're going to grow tremendously. Some of the subjects that we're going to look at today, we're looking at the fear of God or wisdom in general. Uh, next week, we're going to look at relationships. Like, how, what, do, what do Christians, what is the whole point of relationships and how do we have wise relationships? We're going to look at the sluggard or laziness or strong work ethic. How does that factor in to life? And finally, we're going to look at money. Like, what does the Bible say about money? It says a lot about money. Our text for today is the first seven verses. I normally read out the New American Standard, but what I'm going to do today is I'm going to read out the New Living Translation because it kind of brings it in a new life. It it brings it in a very tangible way, and then I'll work through our text in the regular translation. So this is what Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 7 states. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline. To help them understand the insights of the wise, their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning of these proverbs and parables. The words of the wise and their riddles. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Father, we do thank you and praise you for the Proverbs. Lord, I thank you for the wisdom that they contain, Lord, for the guidance that they give us. Lord, we thank you that your book isn't like any other book where we're instructed just to read it, take it in, and move on with our life. We thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, that it seeks to, to change us, Lord. And so, Father, we pray that this month, as we launch into this year, Lord, that you would give us wisdom, that you would help us to grow in our maturity with you. We love you, Lord. We praise you, and we ask this in Christ's good name. So as we look at, 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 at Proverbs, this is the introduction. Uh, the, we learn right away. It says, the Proverbs of Solomon. So we learn that Solomon wrote Proverbs. He goes on to say that he's the son of David, king of Israel. So the man who's writing this is King Solomon. He's David's son. He's known throughout history as being the wisest man that has ever lived. He reigned Israel during the time, like really Israel's very pinnacle of success and blessing of the Lord. Still to this date, Solomon was the man. Solomon 
If we go to, we're not going to, I'm just going to kind of tell a story from 1 Kings chapter 3. When he became king, the Lord appeared to him in a dream at night and basically was like, hey, if you have a request, let me know. Give me one request. God was not functioning as a genie, but in the, in the, as we know genies, hey, you got three wishes. In the dream, he's like, hey, you have, you have one, I'll grant you one wish. What do you want? And Solomon basically replied, said, I'm just a little kid. Like, I don't know anything. How am I supposed to rule these people? I want discernment. Will you give me discernment so that I would have wisdom to know how to grant these people? And God was like blown away. It's like the fact that you didn't ask for riches and wealth and all of this stuff. I'm going to give all that stuff to you. But the fact that you want wisdom, that that's a good thing. Can you imagine that one of the things that's been in the news this last few weeks is North Korea. We have one dictator that's died and the whole world is looking at Kim Jong-un to say, hey, is he, how is he going to lead? Is he really the, is he going to lead just like his father? Is he truly the leader? They had video, I think it was this week of the funeral procession. And they're analyzing all of the tapes because this isn't just like the United States where it's free video footage that the media has. This is a video that the state has released to the world. And they're going, okay, who's, who's looking at who, who's saluting? Is there any signs of who the leader is? But right now, like the whole world is watching this, this young kid trying to figure out how's he gonna, is he gonna be worse, the same, or better than his dad? Is there gonna be any change out of North Korea? Can you imagine he in this spot saying, Lord, I need wisdom? I doubt he's asking that question. But this is where Solomon was. And then the story in chapter three of first Kings kind of develops where God's like very pleased with him. And at the end of the chapter, we see that his wisdom sort of surfaced to the top. Here's the king of Israel. These two ladies have a problem with one another. They each had a child. One of the children had died. The one lady stole the other kids, said, your kid died. My kid's still alive. This is my kid. But the mom says, that's my kid. So they go before the king. They tell the king this story. King says, okay, that's an easy solution. Hey, take your sword. Let's cut the kid in half. We'll give half to each of them. They'll be happy. The one lady says, no, 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 no. Don't do that. You take the child. The other lady's like, sounds fair to me. Let's do it. Solomon's like, okay, this is the mother. Take the child. That's wisdom. Like, I've never been presented in this situation before, but I don't know that I say, all right, let's go get a chainsaw and we'll cut the kid in half and we'll divide. But brilliant. True wisdom. And we, if we skip down to verse 8 in Proverbs, we see, he says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction. So we learned that the recipient, here's Solomon. He wrote most of the Proverbs. He didn't write all of the Proverbs, but we're not going to get into that little detail. They're a collection of, of wise sayings. And he says, I'm writing this to my son so that you would have wisdom, that you would navigate your life. Their son, his sons didn't listen to this. Following Solomon's death, his son that took over, he basically divided Israel over his immaturity and said, no, I'm going to continue taxing you. I'm going to break your backs. We're going to continue to grow. And 10 of the tribes left. And then there became the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel. So he says, okay, verse one, these are the Proverbs. And then if you skip out the address, like to understand it in the New American Standard, for me, what I had to do, it says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. I just kind of, in my mind, 
that of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, it sort of becomes a parenthetical statement because it's the Proverbs, verse 2, are to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of the understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive or the simple. This is not an ignorant person. This is a young person. So if you're, let's just say if you're under 30, like I think 30 is where you start becoming an adult. I used to hate it when people would say that before I was 30, but it's so true. Like it's so true. And, but it, it has nothing to do with your lack of, of, of like being smart or not. It's just that you haven't lived long enough. And so there's a naiveness. And he says to, to the young people, listen to these words because you'll get wisdom. You'll get maturity earlier on. He goes on to okay, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. Verse five, a wise man will hear and increase in learning. So it's not just to the young. You think you're a wise person. You read and study the Proverbs. You're going to continue to get wise or more wisdom. It's been said that there was a man that could could teach something to every person. There was an even wiser man that could learn something from every person. And I think that that, see, that in itself is a proverb. See, if you think that you know everything and you can teach something to everybody, you have some maturing to do. But a person who really is wise that says, you know what, that has humility, that, man, I can learn something from every person. That's wisdom. And that's backed up in Proverbs. He goes on to, to say, Okay, we'll start at verse 5. A wise man will hear and increase in learning. And a wise man and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. So he goes on. He's like, this is, this is wisdom. Like if you gain wisdom, it'll help everybody. This, this word wisdom, if you look it up in the Old Testament, it's used to describe skilled craftsmen. Like those that built the tabernacle, they looked for wise men that could do the, the art, the, what is it, artisan, the artisanship? Is that, is that a real world or did I just make that up? People that had like the gift of creating and doing things of perfection, they were considered wise men. And so when the, when the word wisdom is used in Proverbs, it's that life is a, is a job, is, is something that we do. And if you have wisdom, that means that you have the skill to navigate life. Some of the things that Proverbs says about wisdom. First, in my, my Bible, before I look at some of these, I'm going to ask you to grab out this piece of paper. My Bible's little footnote here, I really like it. It says, to have knowledge is to have understanding or information about something. To have wisdom is to have the ability to apply knowledge to day-to-day life. So wisdom isn't just having all the facts, to be book smart, that you can tell everything. Wisdom is having all of those facts and then being able to take those facts and then to apply it into your life that you'd make wise decisions. Some of the things that Proverbs says, I'm, I didn't list them all up here, but I'm just going to read some of these things. So in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20, we learn that wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. That wisdom can be found. We learn that it's everywhere. It screams out. It shouts out to us. There was a saying, common sense. Common sense isn't common anymore. <laughs> but common sense can be found. 
We learn in chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. So here's a command from Solomon. It says, wisdom's out there. It shouts, but it just doesn't come to you. Discipline yourself to to hear it, to to listen to it, to find it, to seek it out. Chapter 2, verse 6, we learned, for the Lord gives wisdom. So the source of wisdom is the Lord. It's not just our own thinking, our own intellect, this world around us. That God is the one who gives wisdom. Chapter 3, verse 13. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. That the person who gets wisdom, they're blessed. Well, it's gonna, we're going to see more on that subject. I'm going to hold my thought here. Chapter 4, verse 5. Acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. So here's the command that wisdom, we're to seek it, we're to find it, we're to put an effort into understanding it. Chapter 5, verse 1. My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. Chapter 8, verse 11, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot compare with her. Don't chase money. Don't chase stuff. Don't look to get a bigger house, a new car, all this stuff. What we want is wisdom. And I believe the other stuff will follow, if that's what God desires of you. Chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Chapter 10, verse 31, the mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom, but the perverted tongue will be cut out. Chapter 11, verse 2, when pride comes, then dishonor, but with the humble is wisdom. Chapter 15, verse 33, the fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom. Before honor comes humility. Chapter 16, verse 16, how much better it is to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding is better is to be chosen above silver. Jumping down to 24, verse 14. It says, know that wisdom is thus for your soul. If you find it, then there will be a future and your hope will not be cut off. 29, verse 3, a man who loves wisdom makes his father glad, but he who keeps company with his harlots wastes his wealth. I look at that one, I go, oh man, in my days of folly, my dad was not nearly as proud as me. Now that I live my life wisely, like the joy that comes in my dad's eyes. And as anybody who's a parent, that when you see your children walking wisely, like that's like of anything else, that's what a parent wants to see. Then the other one that kids don't like, the rod and reproof gives wisdom. But a child who gets his own way brings shame to her mother or to his mother. And so these are some, these are some very, this is what Proverbs says about wisdom. So when I look at that list, I say, well, first off, I want to get wisdom. Like, I, it's going to benefit my life if I seek out wisdom. Well, how do I find wisdom? Well, we're told what it calls out, that God's made it very easy for us to find. We learn that the source of wisdom is God himself. Which I think is what, verse 7, it's, it's the, the foundational point of all of Proverbs. Like, in his summary statement, if... If Solomon, when he writes, you see it in Ecclesiastes, you see it in his writings. I think he didn't have it early on, but at the end of his life, he understood. He says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Like to have fear of God. That's the beginning. That's the starting point. That is what tethers you. I was looking for a picture. The only thing I could think of it, I couldn't find a good picture. Then I like the navigation of wisdom a whole lot better. But we have all pretty much been to the wild animal park, I'm assuming. Or the safari park, but I'm still a little bit in denial, rebellion. 
at the safari park, there's the big yellow balloon. It's, it's tethered with a string. They don't just like five bucks and wherever you guys land is wherever you land. It goes up and then they wheel it up and down, up and down, up and down. In life, the point that tethers us to wisdom and understanding is the fear of God. If you don't have the fear of God, then you're, you have no grounding. And we have a hard time with this concept of the fear of God. It's been over 100 years since a book has been published dealing with the subject of the fear of God because mankind doesn't like it. And if you study this word, there's, you're going to get two schools of camps. I think that they're both right. One says, oh, it's this fear of God means reverence. Like a son has respect and reverence for his father, that this is what that fear is. Then there's the whole other camp that says, no, this is terror. This is to be totally fearful like your life can be at any moment. It's interesting that most Jewish scholars hold the second one. Most evangelical scholars think, oh, no, 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 it's reverence. It's, it's his respect. It can't be that bad. But I think there's a little bit of both. When we start looking at the scripture and seeing God's holiness in light of man's unholiness, there's a lot of anger there. Like we see that his holiness is righteous and he can't tolerate the sinful nature of man. Like starting from the flood when he destroyed the whole earth because the sin had just gotten so out of control. And we think, oh, that's the Old Testament. But then you go to the New Testament, the old early church, like a couple of things. I'm like halfway. I, I thought about not even taking our offering until the end of the service, because in Acts chapter five in, in in the early church, when they were making gifts, people were lying about what they gave and how much the proportions. And God struck down Ananias and Sapphira in front of everybody. So it's like, well, when we give, well, we should probably be OK with it. Like, be sure that we're our hearts are right with God. It's not about the people next to us. We're going to take communion today. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're told that people were dying, that God was taking their lives because they were taking communion sinfully. Can you, do you think there was a little healthy fear in the early church when these things happened? Yeah, absolutely. And we see that the church grew like wildfire when the, there was this healthy dose of fear. And having a healthy dose of fear of God... What it does is it changes your it changes your perspective about everything. It says, no, God, you're holy. You're the creator and sustainer of the universe. You created all. You give me life. You give me breath. You've revealed yourself through your word. So when I read this book, I don't want to just read it and say, oh, I read that chapter. I come and I say to the living God, Lord, help me understand what this says. And then as I read, if I have a question, I write it down or something that stands out to me. Like this week, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's been on my heart. Lord, help me to like, help me to have a healthy dose of fear of you. And it, it how you treat people, your reactions to things. When you're tethered to this fear of God, no, that's not what God wants of me. Like the wrath of God was poured out on Christ. Because of his, his being such a merciful God, a loving God, that he created us, he loves us. And so when we think that we sing that song, that old hymn, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Man, Jesus paid it all for me. I love him so much that I better fix my attitude about things. 
Having a healthy dose of fear has helped me to say sorry, to repent, to confess my sin so much faster than it used to, than I used to be able to do. And Solomon gets, he says, you know what? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And this isn't, this isn't like when a rocket takes off into space and they have the first fuel cell that after it gets to, you know, whatever, 30, 50, 100, however many feet up it gets, where it launches off. It's more like the foundation of the house. That if the foundation goes bad, everything else sort of crumbles. And so our foundation as those who love God, that have experienced God's love and mercy, is this fear of God. He created everything. And he... And we think, well, how did he do that? Most people have a hard time with, you know, a, a creation in six days. How in the world could anybody do that? Well, God is like this world is so tiny compared to who God is. And he just speaks it. And it came into existence. He, he spoke you into existence. We look at all of our like our wiring, like going last night and holding little baby Luke, not the big Luke. The little baby Luke. To see this little child that's like five or six pounds, little tiny fingers with fingernails and eyeballs and hair and all of this stuff firing. It's, there's no engineer in this world that could create something like that. Uh, like if we were to see one cell of water, if a scientist that don't believe in God to find one molecule of water on the moon they would be fat they'd be blown away there's life on the moon we are fearfully and wonderfully made and god is the god did this david jeremiah on the fear of the lord says this step one in gaining wisdom to recognize at the outset of what we do that we do not possess it ourselves that if we are going to get wisdom We will have to humble ourselves before God and ask him for it. To that end, Proverbs 3, 7 says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. So so to realize that we don't have wisdom, that at a starting point says, no, God, you're God. I'm not. I want wisdom. I need your help. And what do we learn from Proverbs about the fear of God? I'm glad you asked. All of these verses, we're going to kind of flip through our Bible, and I hope that we'll have a greater understanding of the fear of God. And why, why, when we start this year, do we want to start with a healthy dose of fear? Chapter 1, verse 29 says, Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. So here's a bunch of people that were doing a bunch of stuff. When they get in trouble, they're going to call out and it's too late. And we see from the fear of God that it's a choice. Like, that's pretty awesome that God in his creating us, like he gave us a choice. You can fear me, you can love me, you can walk with me, or you can totally reject me. There's going to be ultimate consequences, but that we have the freedom. And that it's a choice that we have to fear God, that we consider him in our actions. Proverbs 2, the first seven verses. Solomon continues his talk and he says, My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search her as a hidden treasure, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. 
For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. So here he's saying, son, seek wisdom, desire it. Tune your ear to it. Do everything that you can do to discover wisdom. And as you go on this journey of seeking wisdom, the first thing you're going to discover is that you need to fear God, that God is the Alpha Omega, the beginning and the end, the creator and sustainer. And this is the starting block for understanding wisdom. He goes on. We're going to skip over to chapter 8. And in chapter 8 of Proverbs... Verse 13, well, we'll start in verse 12. It says, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. God hates evil. God hates sin. We, by nature, love it. Sin can be enjoyable for a season with lasting consequences. And so when we come to fear God, we realize that fearing God means that we hate evil. It's something to think about, to ponder. Proverbs are like, like, they're like beef jerky. You like chewing on them, you chew on them, you chew on them, and you get more and more by the time you think about it. And I struggle with this one because it's like, well, evil, like sin's kind of fun. But if we fear God, Well, then that suddenly affects what we think is fun. If we have a healthy dose of fear, the movies we watch, the TV we view, what we look at at the Internet are things that we do for enjoyment. Suddenly, God begins challenging us, saying, that's not wise. That's not wise. You're going to hurt yourself with that. Which leads into chapter 10, verse 27. Chapter 10, verse 27 says, The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. This is medical doctors that are not of faith backgrounds are discovering this all the time. They're already saying, hey, if you're in a healthy relationship, if you're going to church once a week, if you're actively in any sort of any sort of sort of religious background, you tend to be healthier live the quality of life is much better for the sustained period and the bible tells well if you if you fear god and that means you hate evil that means that you're not going to participate in things that ultimately are destroying your body now this is a general statement there are totally people that walk with the lord that get cancer and die at i mean literally somebody just handed me of a two-year-old that has some cancer to be praying for what is his name Jaden. So we pray, like there, there are things that happen, and it doesn't mean because there's sin, but generally speaking, if we fear God and we hate evil, as we walk in the fear of God, our lives are going to be prolonged. Verse chapter 14, verse 26. I really like this one. It says, In the fear of the Lord. This is so this is this is this picture, like the fear of the Lord is is not something that we, it's not a feeling. It's not, it's not something that like our thoughts and our actions towards God. It's literally that the fear of God is like a, a physical location that you can be within. That in the fear of the Lord, there's strong confidence and his children will have refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life 
that one may avoid the snares of death. So in the fear of God, as we walk in the fear of God, there's total peace and security. And that seems to conflict with what in our culture in America in 2012, when we hear the fear of God, we think, oh, God's like a a rabid wild animal that if we get near him, he's going to destroy us. Well, the Bible tells us the exact opposite, that we fear him and in him it's a refuge. It's a place of security and comfort and hope. Chapter 15, verse 26. Evil plans. Wait a minute. Oh, verse 16, probably. Um, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil without it. That makes sense with my note because I have contentment. It says if you have not a lot of stuff, if you're poor, but you have the fear of the Lord, that's better than having all kinds of stuff and not having the fear of the Lord. All it takes is one trip to Mexico to build a house that's a 16 by 10, four walls and a dirt floor and a roof with no plumbing. When you go down there and you build a house for a Christian family and you see the joy that they have with nothing. It's like what they have is better than what like 90% of Americans have, especially coming off. Like we're a week away from Christmas and how many of these Christmas toys that were bought are already at the trash bin? The kids are already bored with the stuff. No contentment. Okay, chapter 16, verse 6, same page. But loving kindness and truth, iniquity is toned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. So this is sort of redundant, that this having the fear of the Lord is going to help you walk in the path of righteousness. And 22.4, a lot of people probably like this one. Chapter 22, verse 4, it says, The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. And I'm totally not about the prosperity gospel. Like, not at all. But the Bible makes it clear that, hey, if you fear God and you walk in his ways, there's going to be some tangible effects that you'll see. Lost my place here. See, this is bouncing around for me. Isn't very. I don't like doing topical studies. This whole month is a stretch for me. But we see that the, that the humility and the fear of the Lord what comes from that riches, honor, and life. Lyle showed up an hour early to church day, so it was great. We had, a, we had a nice chitter chat this morning, kind of talking around. We were talking about our old seasons in life before we were walking with the Lord. We both, he said, he's like, man, I used to waste so much money just like not walking with the Lord. And I'm like, oh, tell me, brother. He's like, oh, yeah, you talk about that a lot. Like, do you know how much money I wasted? Like on booze, gambling, all kinds of foolishness? Like just walking with the Lord, it's been a whole lot easier saving money. And like, it's like, wow, this is a whole lot. There's like just very practical rewards for a healthy dose of the fear of the Lord. Like my life, like it's just so much has come from it. But there's no way you'll hear me say, hey, if you live for the Lord and you have fear from God, you're going to get happy, wealth, all of the, like that's not why we, we come to the Lord because he's God and we are not. So back to Proverbs 1. When I look at this introduction of Proverbs, what I want from us is I realize that just in the short time that I've had to talk, there's, there's, there's no way for me to communicate God's wisdom to you in such a way that it goes to your heart for me talking. 
I feel like the mama bird trying to feed her baby bird. But the problem is it doesn't work with the word of God. And that's why this month, I really want to encourage you. I try to make it easy. Every week, we'll, we'll have this. I have the listing of all of the things dealed with wisdom. So you can, you can mull over this. On the back side, I have every date for you to kind of go, okay, I'm supposed to read Proverbs chapter 1 today. And I'd ask you, to, when you read Proverbs chapter 1, to pray. Say, Lord, help me to understand this. And as you get through some of the stuff, there are certain ones that are just going to like stand out to you. That are ca- going to cause you to ponder. As you go through the day, it should be like it literally should be like beef jerky. I love beef jerky. I was given beef jerky for Christmas. I haven't opened the bag. I think that's why I have beef jerky in my brain today. But it's great. You just kind of chew on it and chew on it and chew on it. And it's just like the enjoyment keeps coming from it. And the word of God is like that. And especially these proverbial statements where we listen to them. And you have to think it through a couple times. Maybe open up another translation to figure out, well, how does it say that phrase? And if you do that this month, you'll be changed. If you do that this week, you'll be changed. You'll start to grow in wisdom. And so many very like practical points that will meddle in your day-to-day life that will be good for you. The last thing we're going to do today in the, t- the teaching part is we're, we're transitioning over to communion. And I'd ask you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this is a, a, a sort of a different text for communion, but it very much fits with the wisdom of God. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, as Paul addresses the Corinthian church, this, the Corinth church was located in Greece. There was a four-mile isthmus where all of the sailors would come. They literally would have to pick up their boats And then they would walk it across four miles to get to the other side. It was a huge shortcut. I say this with love as a former Navy guy. Wherever there's a port, things get really bad, morally speaking. And this church was bad. There were all kind of problems. All of the men from from different parts of the world came to this spot. Their, Their God here in Greece, part of worship was prostitution. Like everything was bad. And then Paul plants this church and the church grows. But there was all kinds of problems. And so when we read Corinthians, Paul is responding to them asking about these questions. And they're dealing with all sorts of bad stuff. And I love the beginning of verse 18, which so applies to our world. He says, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. I think that's still true today. If you leave this building or maybe you're in this building, I sat in a church for a long time pondering, considering, considering the things of the cross. Think, you're telling me that God became man, lived a perfect life, then he was put to death on the cross, and you're telling me that it was for my sin and your sin? Come on. It's foolishness. I mean, from a from a sort of a halfway logical position, we do. I, I hope we all kind of grapple, like from our human perspective, it's sort of foolish. It's hard to understand this. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Like, and I tell you, my life, I I really reached a spot in my life where everything had fallen apart. 
I, I was, it was rock bottom for me. The rock bottom, it's for every person. Like when I realized who I was before God and my sin so bubbled up in my heart that I was just disgusted with myself and I knew that the path I was on was wrong. And my friend kept nagging me to go to church and I'd been sitting in church. I'd been hearing the message of the cross. I, and finally, after I don't know when exactly, but a long time of hearing the gospel, that Jesus loved me, that he died for me, that he went to the cross for me, that he rose. And I finally in my heart cried out to God and said, okay, Lord, I believe. But I have a hard time believing it, and you're going to have to like, you're going to have to do a work here. And I just started reading the Bible. Then I wanted to go more into the Bible. And then next thing I know, I'm taking correspondence courses. And then next thing I know, I'm having to get out of the Navy after 12 years to go be a pastor. That is hilarious. Like, if you guys knew me 10 years ago, this is hilarious. It is hilarious that I'm up here teaching. But now that I've walked with God, and I, it, it seemed foolishness to me. But then after trusting and growing, it wasn't like I did it one time. It's like this continual growth of faith and trusting in what Christ did. And to see the radical change in my life, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever. I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who would believe. If you're not sure where you stand with God today, it's simple as believing that Jesus died for you. He loved you. In that moment of belief, you're sealed in the spirit. You're turned into a new creation. He goes on to say, verse 22, for the, indeed the Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And so here Paul starts going, hey, listen, the whole like wisdoms, finding wisdom, looking at Proverbs, dealing with the fear of God, we come to take communion. What is communion about? It's a broken cracker that knew they taste stale. Like that's how they come. They're unleavened crackers. It's a little cracker, broken. It's to remind us what Jesus did, his broken body on the cross. Why was Jesus' body broken on the cross? Because God is so holy that in order to restore his relationship with humanity, judgment had to be given. Payment for our sin had to be made. And as a substitute, he stood in our place without sin. First Corinthians or Second Corinthians chapter five says that he who knew no sin became sin. Not that he sinned, but that our sin, the world's sin, was placed upon him. He stood in our place. And as Christians, that's what communion is for. That you've come to this place that you've believed, yes, Jesus, you died for me, and we take communion to remember what he did for us. And then the juice. It's grape juice, Kadim. It's kosher. It's really good grape juice. 
during the holidays, you can get it on sale. Otherwise, it's really expensive, the Jewish holidays. Keep your eyes out for it. It's good. It's the little juice symbolizing his blood, the new covenant. See, Jesus, when he died on the cross, see, I was, I was raised Catholic. I love Catholics. I try not to, I don't talk down about Catholics at all. I might have a few points of criticism for the, for the Vatican, but almost every Catholic does too. So I'm like, you know, it's, but the whole idea, like I grew up that on the cross, we have a cross here. Jesus was always on the cross. And it took me a long time to understand he's not there anymore. He came off the cross. He was buried. He remained there for three days. And then he rose from the grave. He walked. He talked. He interacted with people. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you want to study the resurrection, he appeared to all kinds of people. Paul, when he wrote this, said the people that talked to him and touched him, they knew him. They're still alive at the time of his writing. That you can go talk to them and they'll testify. Most of those people gave their lives with that testimony. And then Jesus, on the 40th day, rose into heaven in front of them all. And so the, the grape juice we take is to remind us that he paid for our death and we have life. We can be born again, born of the Spirit. That we no longer have to fear death. Because God in his wisdom spared us through him. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. And the third element of communion that almost nobody ever talks about is that as often as we take communion, we're to proclaim the Lord's death. This whole world around us, there's a whole culture with hangovers this morning because it's New Year's Day and that's what you do on New Year's Eve, right? I was one of them. Hopeless. It's all great partying, having fun. The next morning, waking up with receipts, wondering where all your money went. Hopeless, guilty, empty inside, wondering there's got to be more to this life than this. And we're to tell them about Christ, that he loves them, that he died for them, that he's a merciful God, and we should fear him. And in fearing him, we gain wisdom to live our lives. And so I'm going to pray. We're going to scooch the table up so people, and we're going to sing a song, but we're moving the table forward so that it's easier for people to get the communion. Be nice to one another coming up to get communion. Help one another. Take it when you're ready. And we're going to close with a couple songs. But let's, let's pray first. And then you can just ask God. You can confess your sin. And I want you to come receive communion when you're ready to do so. So, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you um, for this life that you've given us. Father, we ask that you would help us as we begin our study of Proverbs, that you would give us wisdom, Lord. Father, we confess there are things that we don't like to hear from the word. The idea of fearing you doesn't seem right to us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us in our thinking and our understanding of who you are. Father, we pray that you would be elevated, that you'd be glorified, that we would come to know who you are and all of your holiness, your power, that we would stand in awe of you. We thank you, Lord, for the cross. It is foolishness to our world. But for those of us who have received salvation, that we've come to the cross, that we've humbled ourselves and believed upon you, we see that the cross is, is your power. 
Father, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to walk in your power and your strength in our transformed lives. We need your help desperately, Lord. And Lord, as we go about our days, we pray that you would help us to see those that need you. Lord, that we would take the opportunities that you give us, Lord, to share about Christ. Lord, help us not to be afraid. Lord, help us to be loving. Help us to lean upon you, Lord, as we go about telling of the good news of Christ. We love you, Lord. We praise you. And we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen.